there is a stark contrast between a Ron DeSantis and a state of the state speech by KIVR governor. Well, thankfully, she didn't have to go up against him uh, in some type of a speech debate. But, um, you know, DeSantis did come into her state and fire everyone up that is actually conservative. And she had to sit there and watch. And maybe I, I hope she wishes that that would happen for her. But, you know, whatever. We're going to talk about um, the state of the state speech she gave, some of the things she touched on. We're going to talk about the attitude of the legislature coming into this legislative session. We'll touch on DeSantis' speech and how he might line up against Trump in the state of Alabama. And for our behind-the-scenes content for our paid members, we're going to jump into some of the heavy-handed leadership that's going on in the state with a specific example. You're not going to want to miss that. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome everyone to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast. We've got a great episode today. Great guest, a guy who's played a, a massive role in turning 1819 News into what it is today. And as successful as we are is in a large, large part uh, to the work he does. Um, but before we jump into that, I want to ask you guys to join the fight. As you know, we're pursuing a free and flourishing Alabama each and every week on this podcast, and we need your help to do that. 1819 News seeks to inform, investigate, and celebrate. We inform the people of Alabama about what's going on in the state, why it matters. We investigate corruption. We celebrate the things that are good, true, and beautiful about the state. We want to ask you guys to support independent journalism, to support nonprofit journalism in the work we're doing as we seek to pursue a free and flourishing Alabama on your behalf. So please do that. Go to the website or um, on your phones or on a desktop. There's a red button at the top that says become a member. Um, membership start as little as $5 a month and every little bit helps. So thank you guys for doing that. Uh, and you'll also get all kinds of cool merch, behind the scenes content, stuff like that. And you'll be supporting a good cause. So um, and I always used to tell you guys, if, if you're watching this on YouTube, don't. Well, you're obviously not because the Gestapo has gotten us. We've been removed. And the good news on that, though, is that you will be supporting a good cause by going to Rumble or one of these other platforms that doesn't do that. But while you're there, press the subscribe button, click the bell to make sure that you're getting the content. If you don't have habits going to these other things, you have to set up those things to make sure you're getting the content uh, as we push it out. So with all of that, um, I want to jump in, but I'm going to jump in with a bit of a monologue today. Um, as we start at 1819 News, I've never been the CEO of a company before. I've never done anything uh, at the leadership level like this. I have seven kids uh, and a happy wife, which I would consider that mission success. Uh, not many people can do that, been able to do that. So praise God for that. And that really prepared me, I think, for what I'm doing now. But the one thing that I've learned about uh, being a CEO uh, is that everything boils down to decisions. You're really, at the end of the day, you are the chief decision maker. You're the one that's held responsible for all the decisions that happen in a company. Uh, and when we started out, Ray Malik was our editor. He did a good job. The deal with him was he, he was going to help us get off the ground and then he was going to retire and go to the beach and, and play with his grandkids. He did that. So after he retired, we had a big decision to make who was going to lead our newsroom, who was going to lead our newsroom. And we did a national search. We searched all over the country and ran into all kinds of big names. And they would look at our website and say, well, you have Jeff Poor writing for you. Why don't you have him do it? In my mind, there's there's no way that someone would leave Breitbart to come be an editor for 
1819 News, at least that was my thought. Well, it turns out his passion is the same as mine, and his pedigree is that of working for Tucker Carlson and being hired away from Tucker Carlson literally by Steve Bannon himself, and that's his pedigree. And so he was a fit culturally, we knew that, but it was a tough decision to make. This person's going to be running the newsroom, and I would say, and I will say boldly, this is the best decision I've made at 1819 News was hiring Jeff Poor. He's blushing over there right now that I say that, but I'm saying it and I'm dead serious. He has been able to get the newsroom in such a such a place. The the journalist, our, our, our news team, respects him. The culture is one of fun, uh, but also furiosity as we pursue corruption. Um, and he just does a good job, and he knows everything that's going on in the state, and he runs the newsroom, and that allows me to go do what it is that I do as a CEO. So without further ado, let's bring in... Mr. Jeff Poor, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Finally got you up here. And you are a very busy man yourself. You travel the state quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, and no, you, you, you see a lot of uh, – you, you get to see the problems firsthand. Uh, why is the state like this? You know, just a, <laughs> Why I, is there traffic on 65? To do better, guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, why, why are we building a big four-lane road in the middle of nowhere? You need to build it somewhere where people are going to use it. You know, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, little things like that. They add up in the yes. aggregate, right? No, they do. Well, before we jump into all the different political topics, and uh, as I say uh, here in this state, it is a target-rich environment of things to talk about, but we love to hear stories, uh, and I want to introduce you to my audience, um, my podcasting audience. I'm sure they're very familiar, uh, the written audience, and, and I know there's overlap, but I want people to actually get to know you, not just as the editor, but as Jeff Poor. So tell us your story, where are you from, where you grew up, your career, all that. Well, so I, 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 I kind of moved around a lot. I was born in North Carolina. My father, um, Air Force, so we moved around. I lived on Eglin Air Force Base for a time in Florida, but um, then he went into construction. So we moved around the southeast primarily, uh, with the exception of a, a, a few months in Maine in my childhood. It's been mostly Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi for a time, Tennessee for a time, North Carolina for a while, South Carolina, but but you get the idea. Yeah. Um, and then we finally, uh, I'd say about middle school, settled down in Vestavia Hills. Uh, wow. I mean, with the with the Gresham Middle School. And it, I mean, it was you know I'd, I'd, we'd lived in Alabama before, um, but lived there and then eventually settled um, in Pelham and built a home. My mom and dad built a house there, so my mom continues to live. Um, but I, I went to Pelham High School. Uh, I went to Auburn, got an undergrad degree in building construction. And then uh, I worked for a couple of years, and, and, and it didn't really – I wasn't very good at it. And I got very – I didn't was not the best student at Auburn. I had a blast at Auburn, but uh, it, my heart wasn't in it. I wanted to be a sports writer, you know. Yeah. I wanted to write about motorsports of all the goofy things you could write about. Yeah. And, um, and, and then I got – so I, said, well, I was working in Mobile. That was my, my job out of Auburn. And the company kind of went belly up. Uh, they were having trouble meeting payroll. So I'm not going to do this. This is I'm going to go. I'm going to go get a journalism degree from South Alabama. Uh, Mom and Dad said, "Well, good luck. Uh, we're not paying for that, yeah. and uh, have fun with it." So I, I went and I went to South, and I, I you know, I was, I was working like a at a grocery store, stocking shelves overnight, going to school during the day. And you're young, you get away with that. I, there's no way I can live that lifestyle yeah. now. Um, and, 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 you know, after like the third or fourth soccer match, women's soccer, you're like, I, I can't do this. This yeah. is, but I was being drawn to politics at the time. And like, see, this was kind of after 9 11. 
And this this the student newspaper's op-ed page was so radically left wing. Yeah, this is South Alabama. The name of the university, South Alabama. How how is that possible? Yeah. Well, so well, I, I'm not. I'm. I'll, I'll still do that if you guys need me to. But I, I want to do more. I want to write some op-eds. I want to do some more hard news. So I went through like I, I, I call it my ain't culture phase. I was right wing yeah. bomb thrower at the college newspaper, yeah. and I, I you know just uh, pro George W. Bush, and we yeah. need to bomb, 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 and it was like a neocon phase yeah. too, inflammatory, <laughs> making people mad. Um, but but then it, it got to this point they were they needed editor in chief for the next year, and it came with a full paid scholarship. Well, that took care of that, you know. Yeah. That you know. And uh, didn't really have much competition for it. The one at South at the time and really pushed for that job, I got it. Uh, they knew who I was. The administration knew who I was. I was the right-wing guy. They weren't happy. They weren't thrilled that the editor-in-chief <laughs> was this. I mean, I, I really was like radical, you know, like message board yeah. right-winger. And um, I mean, we published a Muslim cartoons. and yeah. We did a lot of crazy things. And we just we stayed at odds with the administration from a right I mean a right of center perspective. And there's a lot of students that were kind of on board. And then there were the students that were just horrified. And they were yeah. always protesting, all that stuff. Like, yeah, you know. How long ago was that? It's like two thousand and five or four. Yeah. In that, in that, so that stuff, it's crazy to think because we think like, oh, this is all new what's going on on college campus. Like, no, college campuses is where it all started, and it started a while ago. And, and it's South Alabama, and, and, and God bless the people. There's a lot of good people that would there. It is not, it's not Ivy League. Uh, yeah. You're not dealing with high intellectual types about yeah. their politics. They're just dumb liberals. Yeah. And I, I kind of figured that out. So I, I was older. I'd already gotten a, a degree in building construction, and I mean, I was just, I was, I was a little bit older than everybody else. And, and you had these, just these professors that were like, they weren't impressive and they were just yeah. going through the motions. And it was like this commuter college with a left of center bias that was totally unimpressive. Um, anyway, so I, I ran a paper and I mean, we had a lot of good stories too. We broke yeah. a lot of news and I, I did at some point determine, well, I'm, I'm going to go Washington, D.C. and try this. Yeah. And it was tough. I mean, you're coming from a, no name school, yeah, and and you know everybody's coming from like trying for jobs up there is you know bigger schools and you know more prestigious places, but I I just said well, whatever and I sold off everything and moved to uh, Falls Church, Virginia, and lived in a it was it's expensive to live up there, yeah. and after I graduated and got the second degree, I, I moved up there. And I didn't have a job, didn't have anything going for me, just sleeping on a mattress on the floor in an apartment in Falls Church, Virginia. And um, the Media Research Center had it open. And that's yeah. Brett Bozell. He's the nephew of William F. Buckley. They were just – it was like a $29,000 a year job um, monitoring business media for bias. Yeah. And I, I went into that and did that for a few years. And, and you learned a lot. Uh, you, I was watching business cable news all the time. Yeah. And I'm there for like the big financial collapse in 2008 and all yeah. the crazy Jim Cramer stuff. And when Rick Santelli calls for the Tea Party, I'm like watching CNBC, like just mass commodities of CMEC all the time. Yeah. And uh, you got like a front row seat to a lot of this. And got to know some of the CNBC people, the personalities at the time. Because like, I'm the only guy writing about their, yeah. their shows and watching it religiously because most people are watching Fox and yeah. CNBC and all that. So I'm, I'm going through that. And I mean, we're getting like, 
Drudge Links, and this was back before Drudge had kind of gone, yeah. you know. The way it is now. Yeah, the way it is now. But this, Drudge was the – before there was social media and Twitter and, and it just kind of replaced the Drudge Report. Drudge, you, everything went through Drudge in the conservative movement, and we were just getting these links all the time. And at some point during that, it, some people that were familiar with Tucker Carlson, um, he had started the Daily Caller, and they didn't really – they hadn't really gotten the hang of it yet. And oh, yeah, check out this guy, Jeff Poor. Yeah. And uh, so I went and talked to Tucker. And that's how I ended up at the Daily Caller. I, I worked at the Daily Caller, but it wasn't just business news. I, I just, I was the TV guy. Yeah. So I, I watched TV and I watched for clips. And what we would do, kind of that era was YouTube was kind of new. And we would take these cable news clips and post them to YouTube and just write them up and they would go viral, you know? Yeah. And I was doing some other things on the side, too, because in Washington, D.C., you could go to these events. There's always a senator or a congressman or a famous author or somebody like that speaking. Yeah. I'd take my little tape recorder, go and get audio from the event, splice up something crazy they say. And it, it, it was stuff like that was getting up on Drudge pretty regularly. Yeah. So eventually I just took it to the Daily Caller and applied the same philosophy. Yeah. We did that for three years. I worked for Tucker's. He kind of grew that. And then um, about the time Tucker was kind of going to stop being involved with the Daily Caller and go on to do his, what you know him now is doing with Fox, was Steve Bannon. And he had just taken over Breitbart. Andrew Breitbart had died a little bit earlier, and it was kind of the, the era of the Bannon takeover, yeah. I guess, and he was revamping it. And it's actually, I met my wife working for Tucker, Caroline, and um, he came to both of us, wanting us to come. So eventually, both of us did wind up at Breitbart. But he just said, "Hey, you can live anywhere you want. Uh, we'll, we'll up your pay. Uh, just just come work for me." And it was like too good of a deal to, to yeah. pass up. So we we left Washington D.C. We're living in this little tiny one bedroom apartment in yeah. Pentagon Row, and it was a great location. It was near the metro, and it was quick to get in the city. But it was tiny, and it was like. Over probably like twenty two hundred dollars a month or something Gosh. ridiculous, and we got out of there. We moved to Destin, Florida, yeah. and lived at the beach for about a year and a half. And, and yeah. we, you know, for about half the price, an apartment twice the size. You could look out the window. There's the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, so it was a no brainer. We got out of the swamp. But, you know, I did my like I did like eight years there you overall. Did your tour? Yeah, I, I I got <laughs> it. I I can check that box now, right? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, stay with Steve Bannon and um and Breitbart and stay been with Breitbart pretty much ever since in some capacity. It's very limited now, but I'm still involved a little bit. But um, we, we had, uh, you know, the Trump thing comes along. We were there for all that. And, you know, there's Steve Bannon is such a controversial figure. He eventually goes on to work for the Trump campaign and whatnot. But then after he's let go by Trump wins the presidency and after, after Trump wins, he does a stint working for Trump in the White House, and then he leaves kind of unceremoniously, comes back to Breitbart. And about that time was the ruling war. Doug Jones, you know, everybody knows in Alabama politics, yeah. it's kind of a turning point for me in my career because they were like, well, send Jeff Poor to Alabama. And, you know, Destin's not that far away. Send our, we, we may have moved on to Tallahassee by that point. But either way, um, send him to Alabama, and he's going to cover, he's going to cover Alabama for us. He's going to be our guy. And I got back in the Alabama game just kind of by happenstance because of 17. And um, 17 comes around, and you go through that. I'm breaking a bunch of stories. I know people. I'm calling, and they're yeah. telling me stuff. And then, like, 
it was like maybe a few days before the election, I get a call asking me to go to Yellowhammer. Well, that just draws me back in the Alabama game completely. Yeah. 17 ends, Doug Jones uh, becomes a senator. And then working at Yellowhammer, off and on, I mean, well, I'm there kind of on a freelance basis, but Dale Jackson, yeah, a, a radio host at Huntsville, says, hey, well, why don't you come do a radio show at Huntsville? Yeah. And I'd never done radio except for maybe fill-ins and stuff and, and guest appearances. I, I go do radio up there, basically get a show on WVNN, and I'm in Huntsville for a little while uh, doing that show up there, still writing for Yellowhammer and, and kind of doing that. But I'm really getting into the Alabama game like yeah. in a big, big way. I'm still doing the bright bar. That's my main job. But I just like, man, this is this is so much more fun. The, 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 I'm watching TV clips for Breitbart like I always have. And, yeah. and, and that's, you know, I've, I've been doing that for ever since I got into the conservative movement, uh, journalism side of it. But then I, I really got in, it was breaking stories, just freelancing for Yellowhammer and doing that. And it really was, was a lot of fun. And you'd go to the state house and you could tell that like people are talking about your stories. Like it was making a difference. Yeah. I, said, I could just do this. That would be great. Yeah. And then um, the eighteen nineteen opportunity comes along, and then yeah. I, I wind up here, and you know that story yeah. just as well. You find me, and then now I am uh, sitting here before you. Yeah, no, it was great. We, um, you know, we obviously Yellowhammer, you know, has never been our focus on competition. We've been focused on AL dot com since day one. I know that's the big, you know, eight hundred pound gorilla. How are you ever going to take them out? Well, you never will if you're aimed at Yellowhammer. And right. So, but we did know that Yellowhammer was going to have to be someone that we needed to kneecap, and we figured <laughs> we had to look and say, well, who, who can we get? And we thought you were a, a good fit for us. We loved the 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 way that you wrote and did those write-ups on different things, and it was always impactful. It always got, you know, views, and it, it was it was a good fit. And uh, we took a shot at Yellowhammer and got you, and never in a million years, though, did I think you would leave Breitbart to be the editor, and I'm very glad you did. Yeah, and, and you know, it's just still do a little bit of Breitbart just yeah. to – have that opportunity to have that byline, but no, yeah. I, I, I had done it. It's, it's, it, it was, it was important to go through that, but it, it is such a crowded space, you know, yeah. and everybody's right and everybody's right and everybody's right. And you said it, and, and it was the reason I knew, you know, and, and I didn't know how it would turn out, but I knew that we, we were a fit was because you wanted to use all that, the experience that you'd garnered to make a difference in your state because you saw how terrible things were in the state and, and thought that, you know, this might be an opportunity to make a difference. Right. And that's why we created this was, hey, I was in national media. I was on the radio side. You were in, in, in national and the written side, and we needed to make a difference here. Yeah, and, and you see the state, and I, it is woefully undercovered. Uh, you know, the existing journalistic infrastructure, just doing such a disservice to the population. Um, it's either people that it's too hard for them to comprehend, so they do a lousy job, or they're always trying to tie it to something nationally, right? Yeah. Or it is it's just old, you know, PR, uh, AstroTurf. Yeah. And, I mean, that's not really getting at what people need to know to make an informed decision. No, that's it. And I think the people down there want it that way. Well, before we jump into that, let's go uh, hear a word from our sponsor. Hey, y'all. It's Allison Sinclair with Alabama Unfiltered. A lot of people ask me, what can I do to actually make a difference in D.C. and in my state government? And one of the most effective things you can do is write an old school letter to your elected officials. It seems super simple, but a written through the mail letter gets their attention much more than an email or a phone call. I use the Quick Letter app from my phone to write letters, and it makes it so easy to write all of my representatives in D.C. and in our state 
a real letter in a matter of minutes. And so Quick Letter automatically determines your representatives and their mailing addresses. You write or dictate a letter on your phone and tap the name of every representative you want to receive that letter. And Quick Letter handles the delivery address, the return address, the greeting, the closing, the signature, the printing, stuffing, stamping, and placing your letter in the U.S. mail. Your governor, attorney general, state legislators, your U.S. senators, and congressmen need to hear from you. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. Actually, a brief, simple letter usually has the most impact. Send a quick letter today and every day. Go to quickletter.com, that's K-W-I-K, quickletter.com, or download the Quick Letter app today. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, before we jump back into the interview with Jeff Poor. Uh, and talk Alabama politics, um, I got to just reiterate the importance of what Jim Hicks has done with Quick Letter. That's K-W-I-K letter, Quick Letter. Go to the app store, download the app, start writing your legislators. Everyone always asks, what can we do? What can we do to make a difference? Well, the one thing you can do for sure, we're moving, we're in a legislative session now. There's going to be bills that are coming up, things that matter to you. Pay attention to what's going on on 1819 News. You're going to know. Jeff's going to make sure that you guys know everything that's going on in Montgomery that you need to know about. And you can use Quick Letter in tandem with that to write your legislators, representatives, senators, all these different people, uh, letters to let them know how you feel. And I promise you when a pile of letters pop up on a, on a senator's desk or on a legislator's desk, uh, they notice, right? And um, they're so used to people not paying attention. Well, they're paying attention now. And there's one way that you can show them that you're paying attention and let them know uh, by sending them a letter with Quick Letter. All right. So uh, I think we left off with talking about the state of Alabama media and, and journalism. Um, you know, and that's what I always said. It's like, look, you know, on one hand, I always break it down into shamed and shielded. Over here, you got the media outlet of record that's like, you know, good, dirty to rednecks trying to raise the claim right. again, you Trump voting scum. And then over here, you got these other outlets that are basically just doing PR for people who are, I believe, are doing a bunch of bad things. And again, it's not, they're, they're lobbying, they're the big mules, they're the people who are trying to control how everything goes in Montgomery. And so these groups basically just write nice things about them rather than digging into what's actually causing problems. Well, our, our, I mean, they serve a purpose and, and, and they, they give you the perspective of, you know, whatever special interest that is yeah. covered. And that's, that's important, but you yeah. got to understand that. And you got to understand how everything kind of fits together in this ecosystem. But, you know, like in, in Alabama right now, uh, you don't have the three major cities, Huntsville, Birmingham, Mobile, uh, don't have print, don't have a daily newspaper. Yeah. The Montgomery Advertiser are still barely hanging on a Gannett yeah. newspaper. Um, the biggest, the most circulated news, the, the newspaper, the biggest circulation in Alabama is the Tuscaloosa News. And the only yeah. reason is Alabama football. Yeah. So it, it's it's this legacy media that has served the state for all those years is, is no longer a force like it used to be. And the little small town newspapers, I mean, they're barely hanging on. It's like one guy, maybe two people, and a guy that runs the printing press, right? Yeah. So and then they could just all they could do to cover county commission and city council meetings. So so there's just a, a real and the TV stations have taken up some of the slack. Uh, the broadcast, you know, your your nightly NBC, CBS, ABC affiliate. Mm. And, but but there's a deficiency here, and it's just nature pours a vacuum and. What has really come out of that is it really is this like AstroTurf PR machine that's filling that void. And, you know, it's not all bad, but it's if there is something that's happening and they don't want 
they won't give you an honest view of what's happening. It's a lot of pay to play. It just is, you know, when you talk to these guys, you got to make a living. Yeah. And it's, you know, they're, it's their first amendment if that's the way they want to do it. But it's, it, it does, it is, it is um, important to know kind of who's paying the bills. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much I could go on and on with uh, bashing state of Alabama journalism so much so that. You but have- it's a, it's a, Brian, it's a hard state to understand too. Yeah. I mean, it took me 20 years to figure this state out, understand kind of how the legislature operates and why do they have an education trust fund and a general, why are there two budgets? Yeah. You know, how do, how does the member from Aniana cooperate with the member from Geneva County to get, I mean, there's all these weird dynamics and all, you know, but it all sort of comes together like a puzzle and it all sort of just works. Yeah. So it's like fascinating from that standpoint, because there's nothing really like it. I mean, every state has these geographical tribal things, but for me, knowing it's going on in Alabama and just kind of being aware of it, but to going to, oh, I now see how this works. Yeah. Oh, that's not good, you know? Yeah. So it, it's it's hard to understand. So I just think there's a lot of people in journalism that just aren't capable of, of really getting a good grasp of it because they just say, you know, they don't have time or they haven't taken the time. And it's, it's a heavy lift to get to where you need to have that informed perspective. Yeah. And the quality in which they do it is, 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 is very poor as well. When you see it, I mean, the, the journalism is usually not done well. A lot of times editors have gone by the wayside. They don't have editors. They don't have an editorial board that's catching typos. And then, you know, some of the videos we were joking about this morning. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and, and everything and and right now we're at this place in this country, everything's right versus left or conservative versus woke or whatever. You can't really apply that necessarily to Alabama. Yeah, we don't because, have a Democrat problem here. Well, the woke, yeah, the woke is not, other than some some misguided voices in the media, you don't really have that presence uh, in, in in Montgomery. Now, in the, the bureaucracy, yeah. perhaps, uh, you know, Department of Public yeah. Health and places like that, certainly in schools, but in, in elected office, you don't have that big of a problem with this. Yeah, we don't have an AOC and a no, and, 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 Omar. And we don't even have a that. Nancy Pelosi or something, yeah, right? No. And I've always said that even the Democrats in the state of Alabama are relatively conservative. Now, they get down there and jabber jaw and try and move things and do things. But at the end of the day, the, the, the people who voted that, those people in there, they go to church. They want more of their paycheck, you know, less taken out. They want, you know, they want a lot of, they want family. They want the same things. Um, but I think the national news media has driven a wedge even in, in getting things done there. But yeah. And I mean, you know, everybody, and I always talk about, I always pick on my parents, but they, they could care less. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and like I was grown, I grew up in a politically conservative house. So Reagan, you know, we yeah. were, all this was drilled into me and they knew all about Rush Limbaugh. They knew all about Fox news later on and they, you know, all of these conservative ideas and, and talked about it, had no idea who Spencer Bacchus was, who, who was their congressman. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's small potatoes. I don't have time for that. Yeah. And you're like, you know, it, it, right now, you're thinking about it, it's like, that's just, that, that's, that's so wrongheaded, but it, it is, it just happens to be where we are, I think, in Alabama. Now, obviously, my mom is more educated now because of what I'm doing. But, you know, at the time, I think it's just kind of like represented where the state was. It just, this stuff is small ball. I don't have time for it. I am going to focus on 
Washington, D.C., uh, what Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram were saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that and that is that is going to make me informed. But in this state, that's not a dynamic you need to worry about. Yeah. And 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 I think and we'll we'll jump into I want to get into talking about um, the state of the state uh, the attitude of the legislature and a little bit about um, the DeSantis dinner last night. But I think that there's a level of apathy that is just there because or whatever else. But I do think it has to do with media focus. There's not been well done quality media that shows again. So it's like it's bread and circus on Fox News. It's constant. It's 24 hours. They're hitting you with you're not going to believe this and tune in for, you know. Right. And, and, and then everyone's World just, Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's just glued into it. And, and that makes it seem like everything that's going on. But, man, if you can get people to just pull away just for a second and show them the train wreck that is Montgomery and how their how their children are being affected, how their pocketbooks being affected. And I think we've been successful in doing that. Well, and it, it make it compelling. You don't have to Fox News atize it or MSNBC atize it, but it, it does have to be something beyond just the blow by what this member of the legislature sit on the floor here versus. I mean, that's that's important to some degree, but you really got to have an understanding who the players are, who to talk to behind the scenes, well connected sources. The, the all that goes into building a media organization like eighteen nineteen. It's not just. Oh, if we come and we're there and we got a seat at, at, at you know, ringside or whatever, we'll know what's going on. You, you, this state is so much more complicated than that, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, with that, um, the underwhelming state of the state by our underwhelming governor. What um, you were there for that? You 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 heard it. What uh, what are your thoughts there? Historically shorter than uh, our previous state of the states. Um, a lot of platitudes, and here's here's what I've been saying about it the last couple of days. She like took the she took Joe Biden and Barack Obama, and I don't mean this in an ideological sense, but just a stylistic approach. With Obama, his speeches were soaring and high rhetoric, and you know we we have not achieved our potential. There's so much we're capable of, you know, all that kind of. But it yeah. didn't say anything. It was just happy talk. Yeah. She took the happy talk from Obama and the energy of Joe Biden and combined them and married them and made a state of the state address. Sounds awful. I mean, and, and that's essentially what it was. Policy wise, I mean, it checked boxes and, and you know, she she listed all some co- accomplishments, talked about education and some of the goals, uh, always dancing around real school choice, talking about more into charter schools and whatnot, but danced around that. Um, tax rebates, uh, that was probably one of the highlights coming out of it. But we saw that earlier in the day when she uh, unveiled her budget proposal, yeah. $400 and $800 for married couples. Uh, and then, so, uh, you know, a, a few of these, like, they were just kind of crumbs, right? Yeah. It wasn't bold. It wasn't big. It wasn't like we want to reform the tax code or we want to, you know, reform education. I mean, it's, 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 and, and, and here's the problem we're talking about apathy and people not being as engaged. She won by a landslide. Yeah. And what is her takeaway other than it's a mandate of the status quo, which is a mandate of kind of, you know? Yeah. And I think that goes back to people not paying attention. I will say though, I think she won by 68 points. You know, she was at 68, her first reelection bid, I guess, and she was the incumbent because of what happened with Bentley. But then she was at like 50, you know, 55. 55, Yeah. So she still lost quite a bit. 
But still, you know, anybody else would have been happy to win by 50. Yeah, points. and it was crowded field. And, and, and I, I just – you, you, what was disappointing, I guess, is with COVID and the lockdowns, and I, I think she would even acknowledge she mishandled it, there wasn't more, hey, like, wake up, we can't do this anymore. And I said this on radio over and over again, Brian. I said, like, if she isn't threatened, if she doesn't have a runoff, if she doesn't have to go through something like this, to show that you guys aren't paying attention, then um, she's going to take away. There's nothing else to take away, but it's a mandate, yeah. and you're going to get more of the same for the next four years. Yeah. Well, compare and contrast that to DeSantis last night. His speech, you know, his panels and everything that he did. It, it was like a uh, today. I mean, it's, it's like a spring training game. Yeah. You knew it wasn't his best pitch. It wasn't rusty. But it wasn't like you don't want to peak too high in a long presidential race. You don't want a Fred Thompson. You don't yeah. want a Rick Perry. You want to be there. The only person I've seen in my like paying attention to politics, Reagan to some degree, but Obama could come out of the gate at a very high level and sustain it all the way through, all the way through two presidential campaigns, all the way to his presidency, probably even today if you had him as a political figure. So it's it's a building process. You watch these candidates. They get better and they get better and they figure out what works and they talk about what's important and they figure out that this isn't important. And you felt like that with DeSantis a little bit. He's he's working through Florida accomplishments. He's listing them and he's forcing. I mean, he's, you know, talking about his accomplishments, taking on Disney applause, uh, you know, um, uh, banning transgender uh, or men from playing in female sports, applause, and he's going through all these things, taxation, uh, no income tax in Florida, applause, applause. But it's not like it, it was just you're obligated to uh, applaud that because these are all great things he's doing. Yeah. Presidential contest, you got to be a little more forward-looking. You got to talk a little bit more about how to take the country in a different direction from what we've had with Biden, things like that. We're not quite there, but to a group of Alabama Republicans sitting in a room, 1,600 people, that's no $250 a pop. That's a big deal. That's a big crowd in Hoover, Alabama on a Thursday night. He he got done what he needed to done get done. What I think is going on here now, Brian, is it's, it's this like – it's kind of like the donor sweepstakes, the donor primary, where if you're, if you're somebody that could write a check, you're able to write a check to a presidential campaign. You're looking at DeSantis and you say, would I write him? Does he have a shot? Is he a good investment right now? And I think he looks like there's potential there, right? Yeah. So he's not to slam dunk. A lot of people may think he is just yet against Trump, but he could be that. So you don't know where Trump is going to go. Trump is, you know, right now, I think he's still the favorite, but DeSantis has got a puncher's chance at yeah. getting the nod. Yeah, no, I think that's a great assessment. I think that's accurate. Um, and I hate that they're going to get played against each other because there's so few real believers who are actually in the position to win. Right. Um, and, you know, DeSantis, you know, I'm so such a state-focused guy. I don't want DeSantis to, to leave. I want DeSantis to finish being the governor. Um, what Because what happens in the next presidential election if he loses? Like, what happened with Scott Walker? Well, you know, he runs for president, he goes away, and now look, right? And so, it's like it, on TV every now and then. Yeah, yeah and, and then... Florida, Florida turns back purple, then blue. You know, hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully the, some of the changes that he's made, um, you know, but but the way that woke stuff works and this liberal stuff, it's like if you've ever had a house out in the country, these vines that are constantly growing, you got to go out there and chop them down. 
that's how this woke stuff is. I have a friend uh, who's a pretty big politician over a, um, a big area. I'm going to be vague uh, not as not to out him. They asked him and said, how long, if you were to die, how long would it take everything to go to crap? He said three weeks, <laughs> three weeks. And it's flourishing right now. But he goes, it's literally a fight every single day because it's just, it's encroaching. It's trying, it's trying to snuff everything out. And so I hope that wouldn't happen. Uh, hopefully he has a, a successor uh, and that he's not just going to leave Florida to run for the White House. But, you know, what do well, you Well, it's, it's this, though, and, and, and my interest is Alabama and kind of seeing how people in Alabama are going to react. Yeah. Could, could Alabama go for DeSantis over Trump? Trump's most um, – the, the, the congressional district he won by the biggest margin – is the um is in Alabama in the sixth congressional district uh, in in um Adder, or no, the fifth fourth congressional district Adderholtz district he w- had the biggest win margin in that district it is Trump country in Alabama and you're like does DeSantis even need to bother so it's kind of interesting to watch how he it was played and, and, and but here's the one thing I would say if I'm DeSantis or I'm a DeSantis guy and I'm I'm not but I'm looking at it. This is the same state that put Katie Britt in the Republican nomination and, and KIV. Yeah. They're not going for that Trump personality. They're not going for Tim James or Mo yeah. Brooks or Mike Durant. They're going they're going kind of steady, safe establishment adjacent kind of candidates. Yeah. Does DeSantis kind of does it play with that crowd? Now, I don't think the Republican electorate in 2024 is going to be quite the same as 22, but there was something definitely going on in 22, yeah. and it makes you wonder, is DeSantis a fit for for, for those voters? Because those voters, they're out there, and they're the ones that run the, the chambers of commerce, the alpha groups, the you know the, the usual suspects in local communities, the civic groups and all of that, a very important part of the community. They're the ones who are definitely going to show up to vote. Yeah. Does DeSantis versus Trump – Get that same kind of the, the, get, get, who who where does that crowd go in that race, and do you have like a more of the grassroots eager to participate in the electoral process voters show up at a Republican primary? Yeah, no, I think that's good, and I love the way you break things down very analytically. I mean, everybody else is just like gut level. You go, no, I think you could, or I think you couldn't, and it's like, no, you literally have to break this down. And say, yeah, it's like a is, psychological yeah, game, right? You yeah. got to try to get in the head of an Alabama Republican voter. And understand because I, I think there's a degree of just resentment toward political, uh, you know, politics in general. Uh, the the institutions in this state, there's a resentment, especially among Republican primary voters. Uh, they're fed up. Uh, they're fed up, especially with Washington, who, you know, both kind of touch a nerve on that those items. But who who does it better? Who would they be leaning toward? Or is there Trump fatigue? I, I don't know. You look at all these different variables and, and where are we going to be say a year and some change from now during the super Tuesday. Yeah. And think about, you know, what, what, whatever turnout was for Trump in 2020, it was like, what was it? 90% turnout or something, some ridiculous, ridiculous number, right. stupid number. And then you come to the primary, right. And you've got Mo Brooks, Mike Durant, Katie Britt. That's a big, that's a very big decision for Alabama. And it was like 38%. And it just, it's, 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 it's still, like I said, the mom and dad problem I have is like, yeah. they just don't care. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's, I, I'm more interested in, in, uh, crazy, uh, uh, drag dressing, uh, TSA employee or whatever, yeah. you know, stealing suitcases, uh, yeah. you know, that, that, that stuff is infotainment Yeah, that that stuff is not important. And it's crazy. And it's like, that's the one thing that needs to be, you know, I think something I, I hope the legislature deals with is Democrat crossover. You know, I think that's something that needs to be fixed. 
But then also, you know, how how does Alabama fix its apathy in primaries? Because, you know, the, the only thing that Alabama does reliably well is votes for the Republican presidential right. candidate overwhelmingly. And it's like they don't pay attention until it's November. Big turnout. goes out there and does their duty. Big turnout in general elections, just not as much in the primary. And it's like, well, you know, all I'm going to do is go in and vote straight R and walk yeah. out. And the people that do go for the primary are people who it, it affects their paychecks, their state workers, the alpha people, like all the people you just all listed. All of those special interest yeah. types, and they don't have – they don't reflect – the whole of the state. Now they're not yeah. some woke lefties that want socialism, yeah. but they're not exactly uh, concerned about the same things. They want government to do something for them, whereas most people in the state, I just want government to leave, leave them alone. Alone. That's it. All right. Well, last um, thing hit. What do you? What do you? How do you feel about the attitude of the legislator? Legislator. Les, legislature. There we go. At least I didn't say legislator like everybody else says. The legislature going into this legislative session, is there going to be fireworks? Is it snooze fest? Is it something in between? So uh, my hope was, at least for the lower chamber of the House, it was going to be different. Uh, you know, we, we all got our problems with Mac McCutcheon, but, you know, on face value, Mac McCutcheon was the change from Mike Hubbard. He was going to be nicer, more grandfatherly, but behind the scenes, cutthroat. I mean, he was cutthroat. like, you don't. You don't go against leadership. We we will punish you. Yeah. You think you have a vote. You don't. I have your vote. And right. it was sort of that mentality. And you saw it, and he kind of governed with uh, or led the legislature by fear. And I thought, be good when this guy's gone. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I my fear is I, I Nathaniel Ledbetter is a fantastic guy. He's always been good to me. I don't want to see that same dynamic. Yeah. Early on, I'm worried about it. You know. Yeah. And I, I don't – you worry that the legislature is going to – the House is just going to be a rubber stamp for whatever leadership and the governor work out. You know, you're, you're free to vote however you want, but there's consequences, yeah. you know. <laughs> chalkboard here that says where you voted and what you, you – know. Yeah, you know, the deal. governor's keeping score. She has yeah. this whiteboard with yeah. the green mark if you voted her way, the red mark if you didn't. And if you took a walk, well, we just we just gave you a black mark. Yeah, and they, and they follow through with it too. I had a friend that was a representative that voted against the gas tax and he lost his chairmanship. You know, they follow through They take through your with chairmanship. It. They take your uh, – even you know, things like your state park funding or, or whatever yeah. it may be. And it is – I get it that you got to have a system in place to get what you want to done, but it just seems, it just seems so grossly cutthroat. Knowing that these people that ran for this office at great expense made promises to their constituents and have a certain, they're duty bound to a certain degree to do what they think is right, and they're being told, forget about that. You'll do what we tell you. Here's a piece of paper. You're going to vote this way today. Don't ask any questions. Yeah. This is a kindergarten. And this is not how you treat adults. And I don't want the state being run by people like that. Yeah. No, it's cutthroat. And I mean, yeah. It's, no, it's, I, I think the Senate is different. I don't think the Senate's quite like that. It, it, it may be a little good old boy slappy on the back at times, but the House, I, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic that they get away from that and this new batch of leadership is is going to be a little more, a little less, um, uh, you know, punitive for those who kind of step outside of whatever they're trying to promote. Yeah, no, I think that's right. School choice, do you think it happens? Do you think they're going to add rape and incest? Like, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? I don't think getting. Either, I don't think either one is going to happen on school choice. Um, I, we are at least starting to see some bills. We lost Del Marsh. He was a big, big guy pushing that. I, I think you need somebody 
with the Del Marsh kind of institutional knowledge to really take the lead on that. And then I, you know, and then the, the house the same way, who, who, who's going to step up for the challenge. I know uh, uh, my friend, Dr. Stutz and, and Ernie Arborough is a freshman are working toward it, but it, it, it's going to take some, it's going to take a little more than that. Um, but I don't think it gets done this year. I don't, but I wouldn't rule it out the next three years beyond that. Uh, on the abortion bill, not a chance. I was a little worried they were getting a little wobbly right yeah. after the Dobbs decision. Yeah. But then you just had like this, it was this weird thing. So it was just talking to some people and it was like, you had like three or four members that were like, absolutely not. We took the heat to pass this abortion law. We did the hard work. We did the heavy lifting. Now it's going to remain the law. Yeah. And if you don't like the law, then go live somewhere else. And a couple of members say that, and that kind of set the tone because you're like, well, you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna go back in. So, well, we never meant for this to be the law, and go add some exceptions. I, I don't see that moving through the legislature. Any any exceptions? Good. I'm glad. And that was the thing. As soon as you started, you know, hearing some wobbling when the the leak came out about Dobbs and Roe and everything. There's a, well, we're going to have to, you know, and, and again, they did say it when they passed the legislation, but still, even though one person said it, everyone else ran on it, right? They're like, we passed the most pro-life legislation, yes. high step and pew, pew, Well, uh, you know. yeah, right. And, and you're like, well, like, yeah, but, you know, yeah. there's that thing called Roe v. Wade. It's just never yeah. going to be law. And, and then it becomes law. Uh, I, I thought for sure they would go in and add exceptions, but I don't think so. And, and look, it's been the law. Since the decision was formalized, it's not cats and dogs getting married. It's not, you know, Armageddon yeah. times. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll see some unintended consequences, but it hasn't been the doom and gloom that we were told no. it was going to be, has it? No, it has not. And that's the thing. And it's like for a lot of the people that were wondering about doom and gloom and they can see it. And it's like you said, there's this there's this body of evidence, right? This time period that, that it has not gone the way that, that we were kind of Hyper, hyperbolically, you know, sold into believing. Well, do you have any last thoughts on the legislature or anything before we end? Yeah, like I said, uh, I, I, I'm just hopeful that it, it doesn't go in a bad way. But I, I'll tell you one thing to be hopeful about, Brian, is um, I this, this tax rebate idea. And, and, you know, tax rebates, they are like they, – they somehow just discourage or, or make – give a pass for legislators not to really address fundamental problems with the tax code. I just handed out money, uh, one-time expenses, not really taking care of structural things. But I'm starting to hear this, and then this is hopeful that uh, you had the lieutenant governor come out on social media I saw that this today. morning. I was just about to say that and Sam Gavan go on radio in Huntsville yesterday. Not the appetite for rebates. They want to do something more substantive. Uh, the governor put it in her state of the state. When I heard that, I thought it was a done deal with the tax rebates because she wouldn't have done that. But uh, in talking to another state senator today on my radio show. He thought that she had done that to kind of bully them into doing it. They're not going to go along with it, it sounds like. There's going to be enough pushback, and they're going to be anticipating something a little more, uh, I, I think, a little more substantive on, on maybe the grocery tax or something like that. Wow. That's incredible. You know, um, you and I are so cynical because things have been so bad for so long. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hammer on so much bad stuff that really is bad, but – there are good things that, that can be, you know, can, can be happening. Well, and it, I don't it, want to pat them on the back yet. Right. In the first three or four days of the session, I thought, oh, man, it's just like the fixes in on everything. This ARPA special yeah. session, eight-page bill to spend a billion dollars. 
Yeah. I mean, I know it's got strings attached, but I, and, and it's just like, oh, here we go again. This legislature yeah. is just going to do whatever the governor wants them to do. And I don't understand why. I don't understand because it's just, this is not historically normal. We had divided government, a Republican governor, and a Democrat legislature for a while. And then we got to Bentley, and everyone was kind of on the same. We had to, everybody had the R next to their name, but they, they were, there were still these disagreements, right? Yeah. Then we get to Ivy, and it's just go along, get along, and it's not inspiring. It's just to keep, keep it like it is and not try to improve upon it. We got a Republican supermajority. Let's start acting like Republicans and create a, you know, a Florida out of Alabama. And it's just, no, no. So uh, it, maybe there's a glimmer of hope there. Yeah. And I had a weird thing happen. I called in um, on a radio show earlier and talked about it. I saw it this morning. I even texted Wes Allen. Uh, I'm not in the business of handing out compliments to politicians if anybody knows me knows that that's the case right but i saw a picture that andrew sorrell posted and it was a picture with DeSantis, and beside him was wes allen and they were sitting at a table wes allen and then andrew sorrell and i'm and i feel like steve marshall was probably at the table but i didn't see him in the picture but but in my mind i put steve marshall there and i'm like you know that's you know i, I was worried about being embarrassed when DeSantis came here but then he's sitting at a table and you got wes allen you got andrew sorrell and you got steve marshall it's like man we actually put we put put a good foot forward here. I was actually <laughs> yeah, kind of kinda, proud. Kind of worried about the the, the AEA Republican, the, <laughs> yeah, uh, the BCA Republican, yeah. and maybe maybe just to show that we care, we'll put a Democrat up there. Right, too, exactly. Know? And then I saw that, and I'm like, oh my gosh! And then it, and it kind of registered three of our statewide officials, and then and if you throw Ainsworth in there, and I think he can. This this tax yeah, cut, school yeah, choice we'll stuff. We'll see. Oh, yeah, maybe we could huh? be at four out of five here. So, you know, may, you know, I I, I will say I. I there is hope. That's the reason I'm doing this is because I believe there's hope. If I thought it was hopeless, I wouldn't waste my time. There is hope. But man, we've been beaten down so much that uh that it's that it's hard to to wanna feel that glimmer inside of us start yeah, to Yeah, and, and look, I don't think it's totally hopeless though. I, I just think it just needs nudged a little, yeah. you know, every now and then. And these aren't woke lefties wanting to turn us into like Czechoslovakia in the 1970s. I mean, yeah. they, they they are they are reasonable, generally reasonable people. But the only people in your ear are telling you you got to do this for for the big mules. You got to do this for the planters. You got to do this for this reason. Well, then, what do you think they're going to do? So yeah. it's important to remind them: Hey, this is not yeah. what you ran on. This is not this is not good conserv- conservative principles. This is something completely antithetical to yeah. it. I think that's the thing is that there has not been a voice of the people in the ear of the legislature. Ray, Ray used to always say that, you know, that that they've got special interest in the ear constantly and they don't hear from their people. And so only so many people are going to write letters. And, and those people that are special interest are pros at this. They are yeah. experts. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They, they, they've been doing this a while. Uh, you know, the, 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 the protégés of like Paul Hubbard and, and, and guys like Bill Canary and, and people like that, that, that they know they have the institutional knowledge. The, the average person out there, yeah, Alabama politics, Alabama policy, Alabama, uh, you know, governance is hard. It, it's it's complicated, and that makes it harder to get that foot in the door to really have a voice. Yeah, and that's what I want 1819 News to be is the voice of the people. We are making it known. We're letting them know what's happening, and then they can make their voices heard. All right, well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, really thanks for having it. me. Yes, absolutely. All right, guys. Um, don't go away actually you will need to traverse over to the website into the membership portal and check out this next segment which is behind the scenes for paying members only so if you haven't signed up go do that now membership start at five dollars so you have access to that content we're actually going to be going into a specific situation 
um, about that heavy-handed house leadership that we talked about. You don't want to miss that. As always, until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.